With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Neurodivergent Podcast. I'm Danielle Sullivan. I am your host. I am so excited to be back after our little summer hiatus. To bring us back with a bang, I'll be talking to Todd Ellis, an ADHDer who's been at Microsoft for 20 years and has just finished training as an ADHD coach. We had so much to talk about. We had trouble staying on topic. It's a great show. Before we get to that, I just want to thank my patrons for supporting this podcast. The podcast runs on patron donations, and if you are interested, I encourage you to please check out patreon.com slash neurodiverging. You can find out more about how to pledge to the Neurodiverging podcast to keep us running, keep us in business, get some very excellent behind-the-scenes perks. The Patreon is at patreon.com slash neurodiverging. Pledges start at just a buck a month, and you are supporting the podcast, the website, and underserved neurodiverging clients who uh, could use the scholarships to access coaching. So it is very appreciated. And a quick plug, of course, for the website at neurodiverging.com, where you can find articles about neurodivergent issues, full transcriptions of the podcast, and a list of upcoming events I'm hosting, the vast majority of which are free or low cost. I do monthly webinars, I host support groups, I teach classes, so come join us. Now let me tell you about our guest, Todd Ellis. He has been at Microsoft for the past 20 years and is a co-lead for a global group of neurodivergent individuals within that company. He's also ADHD, dyslexic, and has just finished his training as an ADHD coach. Todd co-hosts the Schooling Struggle podcast, link below, please check that out. And our conversation ranged from how to approach neurodiversity and accommodations in a multicultural huge company like Microsoft, to what it was like for Todd to be diagnosed ADHD as a kid, but not really dig into what it meant until middle age, and how we each got into coaching and why we do it, plus lots and lots of other diversions, hopefully of the amusing and educational persuasion. You will have to let me know. Enjoy. Hit it. Ready? Let's go. Todd, welcome to the Neurodiverging Podcast. It's good hey, to see thanks you for again. Having me. <laughs> yeah. Thanks for being here. How's it going, Danielle? It's doing okay. As we were just talking about, it is evening here. I've had a full day of coaching clients, so I'm 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 feeling a little like you know, uh, let's go. Ready fun. to be done. Ready to be, but also <laughs> very excited to talk to you because oh. I like we've met briefly before and talked a little bit, but it's nice to like see you. I think it's been yeah. like a whole year, hasn't it? It's been oh yeah, it's been a COVID uh, <laughs> COVID speed bump. Yeah, exactly. Yep. exactly. It's been a while, for sure. <laughs> right, yeah. So what's new with you? What's going on over there? Well, you know, aside from COVID, uh, <laughs> aside the, from en- this the enduring, the, yeah, what do we call it? The blur? Oh, yeah. <laughs> so funny people talk about, they're like, oh, remember when this started? I was like, no, no I don't no. actually remember when that started. Uh, now, no, really, nothing's new. Um, no. I think we talked about Adka, so I finished my uh, my coaching um, class anyways. I haven't got accredited yet, but um, that's something that I was following up on. And then uh, still just enduring the day-to-day of, of life in this new normal. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Are you still working at Microsoft? I do work you... at Microsoft. Actually, uh, what's today? 
623. So on 722 of 22 will be uh, 20 years that I've been working at Microsoft. Wow. I know. That's what I said. That's amazing. I sit back like, wow. Congratulations. Yeah, thanks. I never thought I'd be there for six months, let alone 20 years. Yeah. So, yeah. Well, especially in that uh, kind of realm of jobs, people jump every two-ish years or so, right? Nowadays, so, they do for sure. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Yeah. Maybe not yeah. when you started. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> no, I don't know. Like that there needs to be a thing where the jumping was um that's kind of a with the newer now I'm dating myself with the young kids, the newer generation, like uh, you know, their interests just take them. Well, and I think the industry supports it too, but their their interests take them in different ways. And there's so much to do in that industry that, you know, jumping around just makes more sense. Plus, if you want to go for the money, you have to jump around sometimes. So I mean, yeah, absolutely. That's yeah. kind of an important, especially for people starting off. And, and just getting into their career, right? Yeah. That you need an income. So yeah, yeah, absolutely. So you're an ADHD or for folks who, who don't know you, oh, you're yeah. an ADHD -er. you just completed kind of the initial part of your uh, program to become an ADHD coach. You've been Correct. at Microsoft for 20 years. Yep. What else should folks know about you um, as we go into this conversation? Yeah, I have, uh, <laughs> I have uh, ADHD and dyslexia and I've been that way since, well, probably since I was born, but I got diagnosed when I was eight. I'm uh, 46 now. So it's been a while. It's been a minute that I've been <laughs> knowing that. Uh, and I've taken a lot of drugs to deal with that in my life. <clears throat> um, I have four children and two grandchildren. Um, my youngest son is 19. So I'm again, aging myself. Uh, <laughs> I have two redheaded stepchildren, which are going to be just like me, which is obviously terrible <laughs> Look, looking at that. I, I've, I realized that uh, one of the blessings of grandparenting that you don't, you don't know. Oh, I didn't know. You don't know ahead of time is that um, it will expose glaring, glaring gaps in your own efficacy as a parent. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> and so those are now becoming very evident <laughs> for my, for my daughter and my, and myself. So it's, that's kind of funny. Um, what else? Uh, I'm never going to go, I'm never going to commute back to work again. Decided that. Yeah. So, so I can't imagine nice. yep. going to an office situation ever, ever. No, definitely not now. Thank God yeah. for the pandemic, right? Like, look right. what we've, look what we finally found. We could be <sighs> equitable. That's fantastic. And gas prices, at least mm -hmm. here, I'm in Seattle and we're nearing $6 a gallon, which yeah. just seems ludicrous to me, but. We're at I five, five fifty here. Last I yeah. checked, I actually have to uh, refill my tank. So I will find out tomorrow. <laughs> yeah. and you're not really but, looking uh, forward to it. Go to Costco. That's the best place. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so. <laughs> yeah. Well, so let's, we have, we have many things that we could talk about. Um, one of them that I was interested in is you were, you said you were diagnosed ADHD dyslexic when you were eight. And I feel like the understanding of both of those things really of ADHD mm. and dyslexia have changed. Actually, so I should, I should clarify. I've never actually been um, clinically diagnosed mm -hmm. dyslexic, but through my work with neurodiversity and through the way that words and numbers swim across pages for me, <laughs> I'm pretty sure that I'm dyslexic. So I just say that as a comorbidity, but it's not official. Thanks for clarifying. But we yeah. also, we accept self self-identifications I mean, here. I feel like there's so many people who are left out of the traditional. Yeah. And it but, costs so much money. It's ridiculous. Oh, exactly. Like there's all sorts of equity issues around the, the diagnoses. And, you yeah. know, as a, as a woman, you know, uh, with autism, a lot of our traits aren't in the, you know, what doctors are looking for. So there's yeah. all sorts of exclusions. People of color get left out. Everybody gets left out. Absolutely. But what I was going to ask is 
having kind of had this identity for such a long portion of your life, as opposed to someone like me and a lot of our listeners who were identified in their 30s, 40s, 50s, um, have you seen attitudes towards ADHD change a lot in the past couple of decades? And like, is there any, how do people treat you now versus when you're a kid? Are there a lot of differences? Yeah, that's a, that's a, that's a very interesting question. Um, I've been working on my pregnant pause. How do you like that? <laughs> it's, it's going really well. <laughs> I'm you. not good at that. Thank you. <laughs> um, I think, I think, it, I think it really depends. I think there's two different ways um, that I see it. I think, I think one way that I see it is through. Um, so, I, so to add a little context at Microsoft, like I, I co-lead a, a global group of neurodivergent individuals through within our company. And so as I navigate that group, I, I see it from the perspective of the mass, the, mm-hmm. uh, like the, like, like you said, the people like yourself who, who, who are the listeners who have maybe just recently learned this about themselves later in life. But then I also see this through my own lens of, mm-hmm. of growing up and how I've experienced it. So when I think about my own lens, I think about, um, my experience obviously was, um, heavy for me, but I think that in my sharing of that, it allows other people to like release their own reservations about kind of the grief that they feel about looking back on their lives. Like, oh, I just figured out this thing and now, you know, look what I could have been. And, you know, then, then there's like this overwhelming shame and all these things, not to say that that doesn't come with both of them, but um, holistically, I think, especially since COVID, I think that um, there's a much more broad awareness and acceptance of all things um, neurodivergent, but ADHD, I think is always kind of one of those ones where people's like, Oh, you know, one in seven. And then they're like, well, you're not so special, but it, it doesn't really matter because I'm not looking to be special and mm-hmm. it doesn't make my brain work any better that you think <laughs> that you're more like me than, than, than you're not. Right. Mm-hmm. So, so there's that, but um, yeah, I don't know if that answers your question, but, but I think that, I think it's, I think it's loosening up. And I think that people as a whole are becoming more accepting that there are actually differences that, um, that can add positive values as opposed to setting us apart. Mm-hmm. So there is still stigma against a lot of neurodivergences, but you're seeing that at least with ADHD, it's becoming less, at least in certain spaces over yeah. time. Yeah. I, um, yeah, I think I actually I think overall it's it's becoming a little better. I think there's still a lot of um lost clarity in what like what does neurodivergent mean? Like you know, what like what does that encompass? And why are all these things grouped under there? And is mental health fit in there? Like there's there's like a lot of gray areas, right? And then another part that I see too is um different cultures. So like at Microsoft, we're you know, we're a melting pot of you know, everywhere you can imagine. And like in Asia, we don't talk about this. Like I, like I'll be on a panel in the morning in Indonesia and they're like, and I'm like wondering when I was prepping for it earlier, she's like, you know, the lady who's going to lead the panel was talking about, you know, just, just try to be, you know, very inspiring to people that they can, you know, they can, you know, support their family or, you know, ask better questions about this thing. And I was like, yeah, but if that's not your culture, if that's like their culture that I don't want to feel like I'm like over here, just, you know, spewing my privilege about how cool yeah. I am in the United States about how you guys could do so much better. So I, I, but I do know that definitely. And like you were saying earlier in like uh, minorities and, you know, differently represented groups, I think that there is still a, a lot to come up to even to where we're at, you know, the, yeah. that we take for granted. So yeah, yeah. there's a lot of different aspects. And I've heard from other um, guests who are located in like Great Britain or Australia, where they are kind of as a 
as a group, like to speak very broadly um, where, with neurodiversity, especially with autism, which I know a little bit more about, but perhaps with ADHD too, is just like leagues ahead of where the U.S. is generally in terms of support programs, general public understanding, how schools yeah. treat it, all that kind of stuff. So I would say, yeah. yeah, I've talked to some people in Australia recently who like, and I don't, I, I don't, I don't follow politics or the news or anything at all, but some of the things that they say in the, <laughs> in the Australian political arena are just like, so against inclusion that it, it sometimes is just flabbergasting. I was like, yeah. what? So I don't know, like some, and I think in some ways they're ahead, but in some ways, mm-hmm. you know, there's just always different these discrepancies. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Yep. No, that makes a lot of sense. Thanks. Yeah. And so you're part of this neurodiversity team at Microsoft. Yeah. And have you been doing that for a long time? Uh, we started it, I think, about five years ago. So, okay. um, yeah, nice. it was just, it was a couple of us who um, late at night, like, found some, some, some artifact that somebody left over and we sent a mail to it and nobody ever responded. So we're like, we could do better than this. And mm-hmm. so we started building a, a community around that and it's become pretty big. So. Yeah. Yeah. What are some of the pieces of that? Like, what do you, what do you do? What do you, what does the team offer for? Um, so I think the biggest piece about um, what we offer is, is the community and the support. And so um, a lot of, most of the people that come there that we welcome to the group are, are like, I never knew this existed or there's more people like me. And I like, I would have never thought to, to look for that at work. And so that's, that's like the biggest piece that's most mm-hmm. inspiring, I think, to me. And then um, on the other side of that is, you know, obviously Microsoft has tons of cash. I mean, we pretty much make it ourselves. And it's cool to to know that you can leverage a corporation of that size mm-hmm. in in ways that, you know, a lot of places can't do or a lot of people never can fathom. Like, you know, we create, you know, neurodiverse hiring programs and then we yeah. go out into the wild and like, how can other companies do this? And we share what we learn with them to do that. And then just different ways of inclusion and, you know, accessibility and things, things like that, that are clearly just privileged levers, you know, but I, but it's really cool to have billions of dollars, you know, <laughs> you can yeah. kind of like toy with things as experiments and then, mm-hmm. and then learn those things and then share them outward. I think that that's really cool. But um, yeah, aside from that, it's just hooking people up with accommodations is another, mm-hmm. another big thing. Um, people, it, it, people in the United States anyways, and it obviously differs by region, but, um, the, the protected class of disability. And if you fall into that, you know, offers you, um, certain workplace accommodations, benefits, mm-hmm. things like that. So explaining that and, and pointing people to get hooked up with those things that they never knew existed is also, um, somewhere that I, I filled me with joy to do that. But yeah, that's fantastic. Yeah, it's cool. Lucky land casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky, lucky in line at the deli, I guess. Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hey, guys. It is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun, too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there i can tell you about my favorite place to have fun chumba casino they have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week you can play for free anytime anywhere and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses so join me in the fun sign up now at chumbacasino.com no purchase necessary btw void prohibited by law see terms and conditions 18 plus how does microsoft 
I don't know if you know the answer to this, so feel free to redirect me or rephrase me. But so you mentioned the like uh, Americas with Disability Act, right? That mm-hmm. supports accommodations for people with certain sort of labels. And ADHD doesn't, to my knowledge, fall under that uh, category, right? So mm-hmm. how does Microsoft approach or how does your team approach, I guess, whichever level you feel comfortable answering for um, kind of inclusivity and support for folks who kind of aren't covered by the ADA, but still could use some some extra yeah, I, I mean, it's it's another one of those things where, you know, we, I won't speak for Microsoft, but I kind of will because it's, it's kind <laughs> of a thing. Like, I'm, it's not official Microsoft talk. Yes, understood. But the, uh, like, we're in a position where we, so our mission is to empower everybody in the world to, to do better, right? Mm-hmm. And so we kind of take that to heart. So, I mean, we fail a lot, don't get me wrong. But, but when we, but where we're able to, I think that we, are able to spread the benefits across the board in a, in a way that is um, inclusive of everybody, wherever we can. So unless it's, unless it's forbidden by law, you're going to, you're going to by and large, get the same benefits wherever we are able to give those to whoever. So there's not really a clear delineation of, are you, are you official or are you not? It's Mm -hmm. just your benefits are going to cover. So, yeah. That's all. So you really are coming at it from this perspective that anybody who, need something enough to ask for it or make it known that they yep. uh, would like it could access it without a lot of like proof of that's of pretty that. much the verbiage yeah is yeah. is you don't have to bring a diagnosis if it's a reasonable request they're yeah. just going to grant it right and which is cool that's awesome that's because yeah. i i have talked to so many guests and so many uh, clients too who have reported a lot of difficulty with their workplace accommodations even when they come in with a a very complex diagnosis and yeah. a lot of paperwork to support that. So yeah. do you have ideas about, or maybe in your work that you've already done, sort of coming up with these systems and then dispersing them to other companies who, who want that? Um, what are some of like the basics of a good workplace accommodation plan that have been most helpful at Microsoft or that you've you know, Yeah, so, the so there's, I think there's two different sides. Um, there's two, definitely two different sides that I see contrast. One is um, due to like labor laws, right? So mm-hmm. um, at Microsoft, we have full-time employees. We have uh, interns that come, you know, frequently every year or so. And then we have what we call contingent staff. So mm-hmm. um, people who, who vendor or contract to Microsoft. And so um, our company has what's known as employee resource groups. So ERGs is, is the acronym for that. Some of them call them BRGs in different companies, but they're basically the same thing. So those are meant for and designed policy-wise f- for labor laws. And I'm sure there's a whole host of reasons um, for the full-time employee experience. And then there are what they call employee networks um, or, or let's just call them employee networks, which are kind of more across the board um, open and inclusive to to include the vendors because they don't have like specific processes, right? Like um, they won't have get-togethers that are in, that are inclusive or by design exclusive, mm-hmm. but the other ones do. So the so the ERGs have those. So there's clearly two different paths, right? And so we kind of created our our neurodiverse spot in the center of that because we feel like we don't we don't want to out anybody, right? Because yeah. everybody should feel included, and that's kind of one of the big di- dividers of, of our community and the, and the um, employee resource group is mm-hmm. they allow us to persist because we have kind of defined the model of how to move forward with inclusivity and we don't have 
yet. <laughs> we don't have these. Uh, we don't have these functions that cross that line, right? Mm -hmm. And so they, they allow us to kind of bake in the sun and enjoy some, reap some of the benefits. But at the same time, eventually there's going to be a rub where those come together. But I think when I think to, to both of those sides, I think um, the most important part is creating a community that is welcoming to its members, no matter what legal bounds there are, right? Like, mm -hmm. so for example, if, if you get into a community and then you feel like, you know, you don't have a space, a safe place to talk, well, what's the point of being in that community? So mm -hmm. we try to make it as open and as welcoming and as supportive as we can without having to, you know, moderate or, you know, manage all these policies or, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. I don't know. So it's, um, it's, it's tough, but I think community is building that community, that organic community feel and then um, ensuring that everybody knows it's a safe, psychologically safe place. Mm -hmm. And then they'll begin to invest in their, in themselves. And then pretty soon nobody has to own it. It's just, yeah. it just goes by itself. And I think that's the most beautiful part about it. So that's if nice. I was standing up frameworks, that's what I would say. And then obviously have, if you're able, have dollars to back that up and, mm -hmm. and keep it going and market it and all those different things. But yeah. yeah. What are some of the practical pieces of making a community feel safe? in your experience, at least for in this context, not. Yeah. Um, f for me, it's just constant contact and, and it's um, personal authentic authenticity. And so at like everybody who gets, who I think we're at 3,100 people now, um, wow. everybody who joins our community, like it goes through a request. I see the request, it pops up. I send them a message with a whole bunch of resources in it and they reply more often than not with hello. I'm like, what do you mean? Hello. And they're like, oh, you're a real person. And I was like, yeah, it's not just some <laughs> you know, random robot over here. Just, mm -hmm. you know. And so I think that that's probably one of the most key pieces is once they realize somebody is behind their curtain pulling the levers, they're like, oh, this is different than most, you know, most groups you get it, you know, you just get some email or something that says you've been joined to the group and then, the you know, you're on your own. Yeah. So I think that the first part is, is authentic, authentically connecting with the people there. And then they realize that this is different than most groups. That's, that's mm -hmm. been my, um, my, my experience utmost. That's probably the biggest one. Second to that is being um, actively seeking and responding to feedback from everybody in there mm -hmm. to make them feel safe. So for example, just last week, somebody was like, oh, we have this like anonymous suggestion box where anything can go in there. You just put whatever you want. And then we, we read it as like this little group of people. And somebody was like, you know, disclosure obviously is a huge concept yeah. across all, all neurodivergencies, but um, how come we don't have an automatic or like an anonymous way to ask questions because I don't want to out myself by asking this question because I'm new to the group. Mm -hmm. Oh, well, and then a couple of days later, we create this, you know, an anonymous post thing. And it's yeah. like, you send it here, we'll push some buttons and then it'll post, you know, and we call it asking for a friend. And so it's like, somebody actually came up with that idea and then they see that come to fruition and then they know somebody's listening. Right. So it's, yeah. it's just like that, those kind of mechanisms, I think, are the most the most profoundly impactful things that people can find to feel supported yeah and create trust yeah that's yeah. Fantastic. yeah trust it, that's what all it is really right because <laughs> it's hard to trust a corporation with one hundred thirty thousand people in it to be having your bets you know big brother is everywhere <laughs> and yeah. guarantee he lurks in there so. especially for even within that size of a corporation if your group is 3100 people that's a big group, you know, yeah. like it, it must be, I couldn't imagine coming into a group like that. And even if your facilitator, I guess, is mm -hmm. very responsive and very um, authentic, it's still a lot of pressure yeah. sometimes to connect with 
that absolutely and like where do you start yeah. where do you start <laughs> what, what do you do yeah, yeah. yeah right yeah it's like yeah yeah so yeah interesting it is very, you, and, but some people you get on the other side who are just <laughs> off like a rocket and you're like yeah. look at that one so you get both sides but no that's true that's a good point do you have any sort of systems in place to support um so like obviously people with some neurodiversities have this kind of um disability lens or are coming from this place of of uh minority group but you also have like other minority groups in there right like you have people of color you have people from different countries oh, yeah. you have people with english as a second language all these other things women so do you have any kind of ideas or what have you done to kind of support people who are multiply oppressed in a group like that that's so especially at a big tech company where yep. there are certain types of people who tend to have more power absolutely so um God, you're just full. You're just full of great questions. <laughs> the uh, I I think that personally the best way to, to the best way that I found is um, you know building on top of the kind of things I said. You know you have to have that safe space where people are willing to interact. Like if if you try to hold a forum and nobody wants to talk, what's you, you're not going to get anything yeah. anyways, right? So if you're able to get um, people who are either on the, on the top end of just like full open, full throttle. I just want to talk about this, uh, you know, no holds barred. And then you get people who are just kind of, you know, putting their toe in the water to figure it out. If you're able to get those people together, especially in those conflicting like demographics Mm -hmm. and, and then to further that you look at like the intersectionality between like, it's really interesting for me because disability sits in the center. It's like a hub, right? Like, of all the other employee resource groups, you know, we have like blacks at Microsoft and we have, you know, women and we have like, you know, Ola and all these different ones. Right. But you can be black and disabled and a parent mm-hmm. from the military. Like, yeah. like there's so many different mixes, right. <laughs> but you have to be willing to talk about that at the center. And so you have to have common ground, but then you also have to have, I heard this term yesterday on a podcast. It was, um, uh, you know, like if they have a big conference, like they like they have an agenda and they bring everybody together. Well, now they have this they have this thing with this. I think it's called an unconference, where you just find all of the people and you bring them together, and then you mm-hmm. say, "What do you want to talk about?" And they create their own discussion, right? Mm-hmm. And so that's kind of what you have to have is like you can't have a set agenda and talk about ADHD and I'm black because that's kind of narrow, right? Yeah. But if you said I'm disabled and I'm any of these flavors from across this wheel then you can have a really interesting conversation about how that falls for people personally. And they're more willing to talk about that. So I think that that's the most interesting part about, about um, that intersectionality is, is one being willing to explore it Two, finding people who will explore it with you. Yeah. And then three, which actually could be number one is posing it as an experiment to realize that there's no expectation of this entire thing. Like we're just going to come together, have a conversation. If we learn something cool, you know, if it fails and we still learn something, well, that's cool. We'll take that away too. And next time we'll make it different or make it better based on what we learn. Yeah. So yeah, that's, yeah. Yeah. So approaching it from that growth perspective, um, mm-hmm. we'll try it and we'll yeah. stretch a little bit. And if it doesn't work well, yeah. we got something out of it. Yeah. yeah. And it might be uncomfortable. So uh, like mm-hmm. a lot of, a lot of the things that we start, at least the, the way I start a lot of conversations is I'm probably going to get this wrong. Mm-hmm. And there's probably going to be people in the group or, you know, in the audience that are going to be like, that guy doesn't know what he's talking about, mm-hmm. or, you know, he screwed that up and that's okay because I'm at least trying. Right. And if yeah. you come with the same, you know, ideal or the same, you know, outlook on it, that growth, like you're talking about, then how can we go wrong? Like mm-hmm. we have to be able to explore in vulnerability if we want to get anything, if we want to learn anything. So, you know, 
if you don't want to do that, then go sit somewhere else. Yeah. <laughs> I don't want to be there. So, That's yeah. one thing you learn as a coach, right? Is how to be wrong and take something from it and, and kind of move on and, and yeah. from it, as opposed to <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> getting stuck. Right. Uh, I don't know. I, yeah. Coaching's yeah. interesting, isn't it? It's really, I really enjoy it so much and yeah. it has stretched me and pushed me, not pushed me, you know, past um, comfort zone or that's the wrong way to say it. it has pushed me past my comfort zone, but yeah. not into the, the, the wilds, but more it, it constantly causes you to stretch out just a little farther, just a little yeah. farther. Yeah. Yeah. Farther All the, depending on how will, yeah. how far you're willing to go into it. Right. That's what's yeah. so interesting. Well, how, what got you into coaching? Oh, it's interview Danielle now. Um, yeah. I, well, I started this podcast. <laughs> I started this podcast a month or two before the pandemic. And then there was a pandemic and people are at home and people kind of found the podcast and the blog and were looking for oh. resources. And it kind of like by total luck, cause it was a, it was a very ADHD thing to start the podcast. I was just like, I'm just going to do this. And I put out like seven episodes <laughs> and then went away for a while. And it got like, not hugely popular, obviously, but it got some traction. And I was like, what is this? And then people started getting in touch and asking if I had resources. If, and after enough time of doing that, I was like, you know, I looked into coaching and went and enrolled in classes and did all that stuff. I could it do this like, myself. <laughs> there was a dearth and maybe you've, I don't know, we should talk about what got you into coaching next, but there was, from my perspective, a dearth of resources specifically for autistic parents. There was a lot for people parenting autistic children. Um, and some for autistic single people like youth and, and young adults, but there was hardly anything for like me in my thirties falling over with an autistic kid mm. and, you know, an ADHD kid as an autistic person, there was just, there wasn't Nothing. anything. Yeah. So I was like, I'm making this <laughs> you nice know? work. Yeah. yeah. Well, thank you. What got you into coaching? Cause that's, that's awesome. a relatively recent development. Is that true? Yeah. It's in the last year. Actually, what got me into it was, um, well, it was a host of things, but ultimately, <laughs> ultimately what got me into it was also the pandemic. It was, yeah. um, I mean, if I'm being honest at Microsoft, we have, uh, core values, three, mm -hmm. three core values that we espouse, um, accountability, integrity, and respect. And so right before the pandemic, a, a year into the pandemic. So I'm at, in Microsoft, my official career is a software engineer or service mm -hmm. engineer, which doesn't matter because who really cares but <laughs> so it's engineering right like mm -hmm. you know coding and all these different things over the last six years maybe eight years um I, I had a series of events happen where i was able to uncover who i really am and feel comfortable mm -hmm. with that at work which led me to all these different things but during that time i i kind of holistically grabbed onto these values as something that i too they resonate with me and i was like mm -hmm. man they, like these are really core like this is cool so I kind of got out of engineering for a little while and I went to culture focus on the culture work of Microsoft. Yeah. And this was right before the pandemic hit. And so I was doing this work and I, I was, you know, and I was, it was like the dream job. Like, I'm like, Oh my God, every day I go to work. I'm like, this is, this is the greatest thing ever. Mm -hmm. And so as the pandemic began to slowly unfold, uh, they realized that, you know, there was going to be economic impact and you know, like all these different things. And so as a company does to isolate itself and its shareholders, you know, they begin to tighten, you know, batten yeah. down the hatches because there's going to be a storm. And so, you know, sometimes the first things that go away are in retrospect, the, maybe the most meaningful things that you've mm -hmm. began to work on and they're kind of on the fringes. So what happened was they got rid of that position and they said, you're going to have to go back to engineering. And I was highly resistant to that because, mm -hmm. you know, I'm at the mountaintop eating the milk and honey. And I'm like, I'm not going back. Yeah. Over there. <laughs> We're just going to be sick for a couple of days and we'll go back to work. It won't be a big deal. Right. And uh... so, 
I went back to engineering and what I found was that although, you know, I'd been touting or reamplifying this message of these values, uh, that the people that I had worked for and who, you know, had welcomed me back, they said one thing and did something completely different. And so I, there was misaligned and I was like, well, wait a minute. And so it really hit me one day because now I'm, you know, working in my living room and, you know, I'd gone away for 17 years to, you know, to work and I would come back and, you know, mm-hmm. you put on different hats and my family's here and they're not there. And when I would come home, you know, I'd be, you know, I'd try to put on my, you know, at home Todd face and <laughs> come back in the house. Well, when you can't escape work, cause you're working in your living room, everybody gets to see, you know, what really happens, you know, yeah. as, as far as how you carry yourself and clearly the pandemic added some stress to that, but oh, sure. I, there was one day my wife was like, you seem so unhappy at your computer. Like you're just in there pissing and moaning all the day long. And I was like, yeah. And she's like, why? I thought you loved your job. And I was like, oh, I don't know why. And so mm-hmm. I took a leave of absence for three months and I went and sat in a yurt in the middle of this island for a week or two. And I did a bunch of internal reflecting. And what I realized was what I thought were my values weren't actually my values. And I was trying to adopt somebody else's values and make them fit. Mm-hmm. And so in doing that, I, I became completely out of you know alignment and you know just lopsided in all cor- all sorts of things. And so that's what started the entire coaching thing. So I, I went back to work and I got a performance review that was less than I had ever got in my entire life. And I was like, it's because this is out of whack. And if my values are to build this community, help these people and, you know, follow my mission, you know, to inspire everybody to be, you know, hopefully better than I've been based on my experience or is sharing on my experience. Why don't I do something that aligns with that? And so yeah. coaching just became the next thing. And so I, I went, I went in with that intent of monetizing it to get out of this work that I've been doing, which is crazy because, because <laughs> like I told you before the show started, like, I don't even feel like I should be charging because I'm just trying to do a service. Right. And there's, so there's a whole dichotomy there, but, but the most interesting part for me was as I started going through the the class, my, my minimum bar became. I have never really invested in learning about ADHD myself. Like mm-hmm. I, it just got applied to me when I was eight and I was like, oh, okay, well, I guess I'll take all these drugs and do the best I can. Yeah. But when they started unfolding, like, here's the neuroscience, here's the tools, you know, that you probably missed. And that, like, it started filling in all these pieces. I was like, man, like, you know, my, my son's ADHD, my grandkids guaranteed. And so it's <laughs> like, you know, now I'm like, well, I have a more equivocal stance and, and ground that I know b- more about myself and I know more about how that I, how I can help to impact them. And so I'm still meeting my goal. It's just, it kind of, it, the target kind of moved. So yeah. yeah. So that's what got me into it. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandslots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of the Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play the Godfather, now at ChampaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. No 
purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. And then, and then now, like, I, I help people at Microsoft. Like, we have, obviously, we have benefits for coaching and all kinds of stuff through accommodations. But um, the nuance of, of where I see myself at Microsoft is because of the length of my tenure there, people are like, oh, well, you must have seen this or what's your advice on this? So it's, so it's a weird quasi not quite coaching kind of, mm-hmm. kind of giving advice, which you're not supposed to do if you're a coach, but it, but it definitely fits the, the demand or, or like the hunger for that kind of insight. So that's where I'm at now. But yeah, yeah that's it sounds story. like the sort of the coach approach, but also like the mentorship, right? The, yeah, it's a, yeah, the, it's a mix. Yeah, for sure. Yep. Yeah. Combining those roles is really hard. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It yeah. feels wrong because they teach you when you go to coaching, at least that's what I picked up from it Absolutely. was never give advice. And I'm like, yeah. mm, but people yeah. want that, right? Like, so it's interesting. I have been interested as also a, a neurodivergent coach who coaches neurodivergent people mm-hmm. that um, I try to share information and not advice. Like, I agree with you that generally giving advice is not uh, usually ethical or, or appropriate, yeah. but there are some cases where you're like, i you know, <laughs> I'm just going to throw these resources at you and hope that you take from them what I get from them, which is don't yeah. do that thing, you know, um, <laughs> it's really tricky, yeah. especially when you're working with people who are sort of new to their neurotype or new to their understanding of what ADHD or autism or whatever it is, is. and it's like, you just want to download all this yeah. information for their oh, brains for them, so you know, yeah. so yeah. yeah, I have, I have felt that. Yeah. It's hard. Yeah, but you have to preface it with, uh, "Do you mind if I share some resources with?" You? Yes, exactly. Yeah, you don't just throw things at people. You, <laughs> no. you, you know, here do this. People, people will meet meet those resources when they're ready and not, not before, mm-hmm. right? So there's only Hopefully. whatever you yep. can do. But yeah. yeah. So do you foresee this kind of role of like the mentor coach at Microsoft sustaining you for a bit, or are you still considering shifting into a more sort of, I guess, traditional independent coach role? Or something else. Um, no, I think it'll sustain for a bit. So I'm fortunate that, um, and I don't know if I was telling you during the show or before, but m- like my kids are getting old, right? And mm-hmm. so like, I don't have all of these things because it used to be, I mean, I still have a mortgage, right? I still have a wife, like spend money and I like spend money on myself. So you become comfortable <laughs> with like, you know, what you have, Yeah. but I could live with substantially less. And I'm, mm-hmm. and each day I'm realizing like for the amount of toil that I put into being unhappy doing the thing that I don't want to do that I now know I don't want to do like what's the pay where's the rub right like what's the payoff in that and so I can keep I can keep it afloat long enough like to you know I'm pretty proficient Mm -hmm. at my job so I keep that going in order to do the things that still fill me up at some point there will be an an, an unbalance is that a word yeah 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 imbalance there it is (laughs) there'll be an imbalance and then I'll have to choose one way or the other and Mm -hmm. I, it'll probably be more towards helping people because I'm kind of sunsetting in my life and that's what fills me up more. So I don't. Yeah. The yeah. service aspect is really fulfilling for me too. So yeah. I feel that. Yeah. But yeah. you're right. It's hard to uh, balance the, the income generation with the service aspect. Yeah. 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 Especially when like you see it as advantage. a service, right? Yeah. Yeah. Sure. yeah. Yeah. You know, we need more people like us, especially <laughs> like you. They, they find the spot in the middle and then they're like, wait, we could do something about that to make that better. I think that that's a, that's a good trait. So. Well, also just the work that, well, thank you. But also, you know, the neurodiversity group at Microsoft is kind of famous for the, (laughs) in the, in the context of at least these circles is famous for a good reason that the amount of resources and, and like you said, financial capital, that's kind of been thrown at this project, but to do some of those kind of testing, experimenting pieces so that, 
you know, people with less capital or just sitting out here, like can still access it. That's mm-hmm. so fantastic. And it must be so exciting to be part of that, even if it's not your main job, yeah. but just to like, to it's pretty cool. Yeah. Sometimes yeah. It, it's, it's interesting because sometimes it's hard to see the forest, the trees, right? Cause the politics yeah. is always like ever present. Like it's Absolutely. always over here, like, hey, we can't really do that. And so you're like, well, you know, why don't we shake it a little bit? And I think that's where it helps to be a neurodivergent individual within the ranks of trying to do neurodivergent work, because you're not constrained by those box. Like, you know, like I don't, I'll just question anything because why? Yeah. Cause I'm just curious, <laughs> you know, and they might not want to tell you, but mm-hmm. maybe by you asking that question will change the outcome of what they thought they, we needed. Right. Yeah. And so I, I think that, that that's very interesting to think about all the time, yeah. but yeah, it's cool. Yeah. I like it. If you ever see a spot where we could do better, you're like, Hey, I wonder what Microsoft's doing. You just let me know. Cause I'll definitely feel you. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. It's, your point about that is really interesting because I also, you know, much more kind of on the ground level working with individuals rather than with a huge company. But um, you do see people in, I guess, neurotypical society, neurotypical culture. I don't know how to phrase that, but like there are certain expectations that things will just go this way. And when you question those expectations, a lot of times they will like change their minds, but Mm -hmm. they just never thought to question the expectation. (laughs) But then we're coming at it from this outside going, how is this even an expectation? Where did yeah. this come from? What is this for? You know, well, how um, many people so, got together and made this up? Because that's yeah. crazy. Yeah, yeah, and it's just sort of this is the way it's been, right? And so when you when you, uh, I was going to say challenge, but I think a lot of times we don't even mean to challenge it, right? We're not like trying to take authority over it. We're just sort of like, but it's why? Question. Yeah, yeah, exactly. yeah. So that's yep. a really good point. Yeah. Cool. All right. Yep. Well, <laughs> thanks so much for being here today. Yeah, I thanks really for having appreciate me. Appreciate it. This yeah. is a great discussion for sure. <laughs> Thank you. I appreciate it. Have a good day. Yeah, you too. Thank you so much for joining us on the Neurodiverging Podcast today. Check out the links below and in the show notes for more information on Todd and his podcast. We have a transcription available for folks who would like it at neurodiverging.com. And if you enjoyed this podcast, please consider putting some money in the pot to support it through Ko-fi, PayPal, or the Patreon, patreon.com slash neurodiverging. Links are all below in the show description. I look forward to seeing you again in the next podcast. And please remember, we are all in this together. Does your father know you're listening to this podcast? Well, when you're done, why don't you stop by and check out a show that is 100% data-approved, Datages. Hi there, I'm Chad Higgins. If you're looking for useful insights and practical advice you can actually apply to work, family, education, philanthropy, and just life in general, check out Datages. That's D-A-D-A-G-E-S, wherever you listen to your podcasts.